Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. If you're a longtime listener of the show, you know that we talk about orgasms a lot on here, but there's still a lot to be said. So in today's episode, we're going to dive into some interesting questions that we haven't yet explored. One question that I think is really interesting is how we reconcile some of the orgasm advice out there that sounds a little bit contradictory. For example, there are a lot of sex educators who talk about the importance of closing the orgasm gap and are working to increase orgasm rates among women. But at the same time, there are a lot of sex educators who talk about how orgasm shouldn't be the goal of sex. So is orgasm the goal or not? We're also going to talk about the small but significant percentage of women who say that they aren't sure whether they've had an orgasm before. This raises the interesting question of how do you even know whether you've had an orgasm and do orgasms feel the same for everyone? We're also going to discuss what we know about multiple orgasms in men and tips for everyone on having more pleasurable and satisfying orgasms. I am joined once again by sex therapist Dr. Lori Mintz a professor at the University of Florida where she teaches human sexuality to hundreds of undergraduate students each year. She has published over 55 academic works and is the author of the books Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It, as well as A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around and we're going to jump in right after the break. Get fit and stay firm with FirmTech. Their performance ring is designed to boost your sexual stamina and give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also enhancing pleasure for both the wearer and their partner. Their tech ring has the added benefit of tracking your erectile health when synced with FirmTech's free mobile app, which monitors changes in erection duration, hardness, and more. Take control of your sexual health while increasing sexual performance and satisfaction at the same time. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. When it comes to sex, most people have to figure out everything all on their own. Fortunately, there's a solution for this, and it's called Beducated. Their online courses can take your intimate life to the next level and teach you about a ton of topics, including how to awaken pleasure and explore your body, techniques you can try in bed with a partner, and so much more. Try all of their courses today for free, and if you like what you see, you can get 60% off the yearly pass by using my last name, Lay Miller, as the coupon code. Check the show notes for the link or visit beducated.com and be sure to use my last name to get your discount. Enjoy. So Lori, in your work, you talk a lot about the orgasm gap, which refers to the consistent finding that heterosexual women tend to orgasm much less often than heterosexual men during partnered sexual activity. And you were one of my very first guests on the podcast, and we talked about this topic all the way back in episode 13. And I've been looking forward to revisiting the topic of orgasms with you because I think there's a lot more to be said on it. So let me first ask you this. You talk a lot about the importance of orgasm equality, and you share a lot of great tips and advice on how women can have more orgasms. 
So women should be trying to have more orgasms, right? But at the same time, there are a lot of sex therapists and sex educators on social media and elsewhere saying that orgasm shouldn't be the goal of sex and instead we should just relax and have fun. And I can't help but feel like these things might sound a little bit contradictory and some people might find them confusing. Like you should have more orgasms, but orgasm shouldn't be the goal. So what's your take on this? Should orgasm be the goal of sexual activity or not? So that is so important. And in fact, when I was writing that book, I even addressed it in the book. I said the greatest irony of writing this book is I'm writing a book to help you be empowered to have orgasms, but sex therapists, including myself, say goal-oriented sex is not good sex. So how do we reconcile these? I think I need to reconcile them on a personal versus a cultural level. So No, every sexual encounter doesn't have to be equally orgasmic for both partners, and and every sexual encounter doesn't have to end in orgasm, and the goal to have an orgasm makes sex less fun and less likely. So I'm totally in that camp. However, when studies consistently show that one group in the population is always on the lower end and massive differences in some studies, and we can get into the stats, that's when we know we have a cultural problem. So I think we have to do a lot to solve this cultural problem, and that includes in individual bedrooms, but we have to do it without saying you must have an orgasm. So I think it's depending if you look at the lens from culture versus individual bedrooms. Now, of course, individual bedrooms are what contribute to the cultural gap, but once you're empowered with the information and the suggestions and all of that, that doesn't mean you have to orgasm every time you have sex. So for the average person, how can they think about this in their own personal life? Like I'm thinking for me personally, every time I have sex, I want to have an orgasm, but I don't have to have an orgasm. And it's the have to that I think is really where you start to run into an issue because then it does become this very goal-oriented thing where if it doesn't happen, then you feel like a failure. And then the next time you go to have sex, you might go back to that and perseverate on it. And then you're going to worry that an orgasm isn't going to happen the next time. So you can certainly go into sex saying, I'd like to have an orgasm. If an orgasm happens, great. But that have to, I think, is really where we start to run into some issues. And it could also be feeling like you have to orgasm in order to please your partner. Because I think a lot of people feel like, I need to have this orgasm because my partner really wants me to. You know, <laughs> For a lot of people, actually, the least sexy thing you can say to them is, in your best dirty talk voice, come for me, baby, or whatever. You know, it's, it's when people kind of put that pressure on you to have an orgasm, then that can also make it less likely that you're going to have one because then you start getting in your head thinking, oh, I have to do this for someone else. And I don't know if you have any other thoughts or advice here on kind of how to think about your own orgasm as you're approaching sexual activity. Yeah. And I really want to just build on a few things that you said. I really cannot emphasize enough that that goal of having an orgasm from yourself or your partner, that's like the cause of pressure, right? And pressure and sex don't mix well at all. 
Also, that's the cause of so many people faking orgasm, which teaches your partner exactly what to do wrong. Basically, it just reinforces that you teach, you know. So I really want to underscore that. On the other hand, there's an attitudinal thing that I often do with women, especially, that can help understand is it about it's okay not to orgasm and not be pressured or is it, do you not feel entitled, equally entitled? So a lot of times I'll say to a woman, a heterosexual cisgender woman, so imagine you're having a sexual encounter with this guy or whatever, your husband, your boyfriend, whatever, and he has an orgasm and you don't. How do you feel? And often I'll get eh, disappointed, but okay, you know, no big deal. Now imagine a sexual encounter where you orgasm and he doesn't. How do you feel? (gasps) What did I do wrong is what I often get. And that attitude really underscores the idea that your orgasm is not as important as your partner's. Your pleasure is not as important as your partner's. And so... I think really looking at your attitudes, and if you consider your pleasure equally as important as your partner's, and you sometimes don't orgasm, no big deal. Not Sometimes that happens to everybody, and you should be pleasure, not goal-focused. But if you really do not believe that your orgasm, your pleasure is equally as important as your partner's, then that's part of this cultural narrative that women's pleasure doesn't matter. So it's very fine distinctions. It is a very complex issue to reconcile these two, but it's very worth doing. I love the question. Yeah, and it's one of these things where you see the orgasm gap get talked about all the time in the media and on social media. And I just think there's so much more nuance to it. And that's why I think it's really important to talk about this because I hear some people that kind of give that pushback on this particular issue because you have these pieces of advice that seem a little bit contradictory. So I really appreciate you sharing your perspective on this. Now, in talking about the orgasm gap on social media, I've heard from some straight men who have some takes that are interesting and they will readily admit that they usually are always orgasm during sex, but some of them take issue with the view that just because men are orgasming, that they're necessarily getting what they want and having great sex. So in other words, we seem to be making this assumption that orgasm is the hallmark or metric for great sex among men. And speaking from personal experience, I can tell you I've had sexual experiences accompanied by orgasm that weren't good. I've also had sexual experiences without orgasm that were amazing. So orgasm and satisfaction, at least for me, don't always go hand in hand. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Orgasm rates are easy to measure, they get a lot of attention, and they're certainly important to look at. But do you think orgasm is the best metric for capturing whether people are having good sex and getting what they want out of sex? I think it's one metric, but it's not the only metric. Just like you said, I'm in the same boat. And I think most humans have been in the same boat. They can have orgasmic sex that was lousy, non-orgasmic sex that was really wonderful. So what are other metrics? How satisfied did you feel? How connected did you feel? How joyful was the experience? How fun was the experience? But you're right. I think neither the social media nor the research 
is nuanced enough to capture either our prior conversation or that. But I don't think what we're talking about dismisses or nullifies the finding that there are significant gaps in orgasm. Yes, it's easy to measure, and no, it's not always correlated with satisfaction. It's not 100% one-on-one, but there is a correlation, and there still is a huge gap, and there is still a cultural problem pushing that gap. And honestly, I get a lot of pushback on social media too, but why can't we talk about the orgasm gap without hearing oh, but I didn't have satisfying sex and I had an orgasm and I'm a man too. That's fine. Let's talk about that. But why does it have to be in reaction to the orgasm gap? You know, but social media is a funny thing, right? Anybody can say anything and people aren't always very nice or thoughtful or nuanced. But I think that is a very important topic that we shouldn't be having this orgasm equals satisfaction, but it doesn't negate the fact that the orgasm gap is important to look at. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think it's just an important point to emphasize that when we say heterosexual men on average are having more orgasms, that doesn't mean that they're always getting what they want out of sex. It doesn't mean that the sex they're having is always great. But you're so right that, yes, there is this gap that is important. We need to talk about women's pleasure more and how do we help women have more pleasure? Yes, we also need to talk about how everyone can have more pleasure too because I think whether you're having orgasms or not, a lot of us just aren't having great sex and that's because we never got the sex ed that we really needed to help us have the tools that we need to have really healthy and satisfying sex. So let me ask you a few other orgasm questions. So in some of the surveys that I've conducted, I've asked people whether they've ever had an orgasm. And there's a small but significant percentage of women who say they're not sure. And I think that a lot of people are kind of under the impression that if you had an orgasm, you'll know it. But some people aren't sure. So how can someone know whether they've experienced an orgasm before? It is such a good question. And There are a small percentage of women in my work, too, that say, I don't know. And the general thinking is, if you don't know, you probably haven't. I'd say, I'm not going to give an exact number, but I'd say that's true in the majority of cases, that you'll know it when you experience it, and I can tell you what it feels like so you can be on the lookout. But there are a small number of people who are having orgasms but not perceiving them for a number of reasons. Anxiety is getting in their way or an orgasm for both penises and vulvas. What is it? It's the same thing. In an oversimplified version, it is blood going into the erectile tissue. And erectile tissue is these special capillaries where when you're aroused, blood flows in and not out. And it builds up to a point of tension and then rhythmic contractions of the pelvic floor release the blood. And in fact, there was a great study, I know you're aware of it, where people wrote out what an orgasm feels like, and then they were de-identified. You couldn't tell if it was, you know, who wrote it. Was it a woman? Was it a man? And then they gave it to sex therapists and physicians, and they couldn't tell the difference. They all talked about a great buildup of tension and a great release of that tension followed with positive feelings. But some orgasms, the release is like an earthquake. 
right? Others, it's like, hachu, little sneeze, you know? So I think there are some people who are having great pleasure, but not orgasms and don't know because they haven't experienced it. And then there's some people either because they're so anxious, their mind's in the way, or their pelvic floor muscles are so weak. It's not that the pelvic floor muscles make the orgasm happen, but the stronger the muscles, the more you're going to perceive the rhythmic contractions. So doing Kegel exercises, strengthening those, but with a caveat, anyone who has sexual pain should not do Kegel exercises because sexual pain is often too tight pelvic floor. But if you don't have pain and you're not sure, start doing some Kegel exercises, try to be mindful and present, and you'll probably know. One more story, Betty Dotson, who you know who she is, but in case your listeners don't, she was like the orgasm queen, right? She wrote Sex for One. She gave private and group orgasm lessons. Before she passed away, I sent her a client of mine who I tried everything, and this person was still not having orgasms. And I said, you know, stop spending your money on me. Go see Betty because I can't do that. That's unethical for me to like watch someone masturbate. Betty was able to watch her masturbate and realize you are having orgasms. This is one of those few people who were, but not perceiving it. Why? Because she was so uptight. She was just, am I going to come? Am I going to come? Am I going to come? And holding her body so tight that she wasn't perceiving them. So long-winded way of saying most people who say they don't know haven't, but there's a small percentage of people who are getting in their own way from their anxiety or don't have strong enough pelvic floor muscles. Yeah, it's so interesting. And I'm thinking about some previous conversations I've had on the podcast with orgasm researchers and how for some people there might be a disconnect where maybe they're experiencing the genital contractions, but they're not experiencing that sensation of pleasure. So they're not registering or counting that as orgasm. Or maybe they're having these intense feelings of pleasure, but they don't have genital contractions, but they're still counting that as orgasm. And so part of it too is also just sort of the subjective perception and what do you count as an orgasm? And is it this physiological experience, a psychological experience, both? And so, you know, if you've never had one before, I can see how it could kind of be hard to know what to label. And some people might be labeling different things as orgasm. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. That's so interesting because I think you've talked about this on your podcast before, but you just highlighted something that's really important. I think that some people get really stuck on the fMRI studies. Oh, if your brain lights up, this means this. But it's not just what your brain is doing, it's how you're perceiving it. Your brain may be lighting up, your genitals may be contracting, and you might be saying, la da 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 da. So I think it's really important that we don't conflate what happens in an MRI and what someone is experiencing. Yeah. And now you have me thinking about how there are things you can do in life, non-sexual, that are typically pleasurable. But if you're not in the right headspace while you're engaged in that activity, it's not going to be pleasurable. You know, taking a hot bath is one of those things that can be 
very relaxing and it can feel great, but it can also be like miserable and unbearable if you're not like in the right headspace or just too hot and you're sweating and you just want to get out of there as quickly as possible. And so it's all about that subjective interpretation. Yeah, exactly. So research finds that on average, women take longer to reach orgasm than men. And this is an often cited contributor to the orgasm gap. But when you look at time to orgasm during partnered versus solo activities, we see that women and men are actually orgasming at similar speeds during masturbation. So it's really only during partnered sex that we see that big gap in orgasm duration. And so it's interesting to me that so much sex advice comes down to spend a lot more time on foreplay during sex because it takes women longer to orgasm. But women don't have to take longer to reach orgasm. So I'm curious for your thoughts on that. Is it that we need to spend more time building arousal? Or is it that the stimulation just needs to reflect more of what women are getting during masturbation? Or is it a bit of both because they're just different contexts? I think it's a bit of both because there's different contexts. So I think it was Lonnie Barbeck who said in her book, um, For Yourself, I think what her exact quote was, the reason masturbation works so well is because you're the only one involved. So you're not like monitoring, ooh, do they think I'm doing okay? Do they think I look okay? Am I taking too long? Like there's less self-monitoring. And that self-monitoring in a partnered context is going to increase the rate of time because it takes time to calm the mind down. It takes different time to feel comfortable. Also, if you don't feel equally entitled to an orgasm, like we were talking about, then you're going to like, you know, how long am I taking? Are they getting bored? I hope they have their orgasm, which is why a lot of women I talk to cannot have an orgasm till their partner orgasms because they can't relax. And then it's like the four minutes. Okay, I did my duty, you know, or not duty is the wrong word, but that is somehow people feel it's okay now for me to take my turn. So I think the context is really important, but I also think the stimulation is important as well. And again, I keep repeating it, but essential but underutilized advice is get the same type of stimulation alone you do as a, with a partner. And the words we use, sex and intercourse, as if they're this one and the same, the word foreplay, just to lead up to the main event, So it really diminishes the importance of those activities that are more likely to bring women to orgasm, puts intercourse at the center of it all in cisgender heterosexual encounters. And so not thinking that foreplay is as important, it's also, again, part of the problem that women aren't getting the stimulation they need during cisgender heterosexual encounters and their mind is distracted So it's both. It is absolutely both. And for one woman, it might be 80%, one 20% the other. For the other, it might be reversed. I mean, there is no one size fits all in terms of sexual issues and sexual problems. And the research can give us broad generalizations, but that doesn't mean how it plays out in in an individual scenario is going to be the same. Yeah. As you were speaking about this, I started thinking about this idea of, I need my partner to orgasm first before I can have an orgasm. And I'm wondering sort of how common that is just in the population, how that differs based on gender, how that plays out in same-sex relationships. Because I can see how some people might feel like, 
I want my partner to orgasm so I can focus on my own. Or maybe it's, I want to have my orgasm first so I can focus on my partner. Or I can't say I've seen any studies that have looked at that, but I would be curious to know sort of what the numbers are for kind of how people feel about timing of orgasm and whether they want to be first or second or third or fourth, depending on how many people are involved, or if they want to do it at the same time. That would be an interesting direction to explore in future research. Yeah, I've never seen a study like that, but I certainly have seen it in my clinical work. Yep. Now, let's talk about multiple orgasms. You posted a question over one of the sex therapy listservs that we're both on recently about multiple orgasms among men, and you received a bunch of responses. (laughs) There was a lot in my inbox uh, after you posted that question. And there seems to be this widespread assumption that women can have multiple orgasms, but men can't. But that might not be the case. So what did you learn about male multiple orgasms? Yeah, honestly, it just reinforced what I already knew and was teaching in my class. Thank heavens. And I use a line from your book when I teach this, Justin. You have a line in your book in the chapter on male anatomy, and I put it up in the screen, and it said, orgasm and ejaculation occur very close together in most men. And it's just one line, and I put it up, and I say, did anybody notice this? I'd say a few do, and were curious, but others were just reading fast, and it didn't. And I say, what is this about? And I talk about how orgasm and ejaculation are two separate things, right? Ejaculation is the passage of semen, and that's not necessarily what's pleasurable, because if it was just liquid passing out of the penis, Y'all would be having a good time every time you pee. Oh, I'd be so excited to pee. (laughs) Wouldn't that be great? You'd be like, I got to go, I got to pee. But it's not, right? That's just the passage. But an orgasm is those rhythmic contractions that feel good. And in men, they often occur at the same time or so close in time that men don't know that they're separate events. And there's men who have premature ejaculation Part of learning to overcome that is learning that those are separate events, learning when one is aroused, backing off. And through that learning process, some men learn they end up becoming multiple orgasmic, meaning they might have several dry orgasms, those rhythmic contractions followed by a wet orgasm or a wet orgasm followed by several dry ones. There's also some men who do that naturally. And it seems to be related to prolactin levels. It seems to be a lot of these men, there's not many, but they didn't know everybody could do this in the studies. It's usually also older men. They spend more time on sex. Their partners stay in an aroused state. So in the question I posed is, there's all these people trying to learn this. Could this be harmful to one's pelvic floor to try to hold back the ejaculate? Because I was seeing some things on Reddit about people trying to do that. So in the end, my conclusion was, if it happens and you're one of those people, great. If it doesn't, great. But just like women and G-spot orgasms and cervical orgasms and all this stuff, my view, and I'm not saying it's not good to explore the edges of things and try, but to force your body to do something that it isn't naturally inclined to do 
that gets back to goal-oriented orgasm. And there is some people on the list are saying, you know what, could be medically unwarranted as well, because you're like forcing your pelvic floor to do something. So that was a long-winded response from a long thing. (laughs) Well, no, I think it was all really useful and helpful information. And it has me thinking about how it's just so important when we're reading about other people's sexual experiences or sex tips that you might see in a magazine about, you know, how to have these mind-blowing orgasms or how to have this type of orgasm. You know, magazines love to talk about all the different types of orgasms. You know, I was reading something before the show about something somebody was calling super orgasms. You know, there's all these different terminologies that you'll see out there. And when you start feeling like you're supposed to experience that or your body is supposed to work that way, you might be setting yourself up for failure and in going down that goal-oriented route. You know, I'm thinking, for example, about how my nipples are a dead zone. Like I get nothing out of nipple stimulation, but I know a lot of people who do. Some people can orgasm just from having their nipples stimulated. So it's like, you know, I could read any guide I wanted to on like how to have nipple orgasms or engage in great nipple play. I just don't really have any sensitivity in that particular area. And so that's where it's important to know and understand your own body so that you're not like, trying to do these things that maybe your body isn't inclined to do. And when we think that our bodies are all supposed to respond in the same way, you know, again, that can just sort of set us up to go down this path of being disappointed because we're not having that experience that somebody else is having. Exactly. Like that's another sort of soapbox I get on a lot. And we do this with women's orgasms especially. We label them from the point of stimulation, vaginal, clitoral, G-spot, nipple, cervix, blended. And it's not just labeling by the point of stimulation, it's like implying you should be able to have all of those and some are better than the other. And that really sets people up to have a goal that sometimes doesn't work with their body and to feel bad. And I also point out, we don't do that with the orgasms of people with penises. We do not label their orgasms by the point or type of stimulation. Oh, did you have a blowjob orgasm or an intercourse one? (laughs) (laughs) It's only when it comes to women's orgasms do we do this and it sets up this difference equals deficit. Yeah, I think as you were saying that, I'm thinking the only time people make a distinction for men in terms of the types of orgasms they have would be a prostate orgasm versus like a penile orgasm. But other than that, yeah, they don't make all of these other distinctions. And you know, this all goes back to the time of Freud where he talked about how different types of orgasms were superior to others for women. You know, how a vaginal orgasm was superior to the immature clitoral orgasm. You know, that's what Freud used to say. So this is sort of this longstanding idea in the field and in the media that certain types of orgasms are superior to others. And that's just something we need to get away from. And the type of orgasm that is the best is the one that just works well for you and your body. Amen. Amen. So on that note, 
Research on orgasms and orgasm experiences tells us that they aren't always consistent within the individuals across situations. You know, sometimes you're going to have an orgasm that feels better or more intense than other times. Sometimes it might last longer. Sometimes they're weak and they don't provide much pleasure. So I'm wondering, just as my last question for you, whether you have any tips for experiencing better or more pleasurable orgasms, because we know there's that variability in experience. So are there any tried and true tips for maybe having more satisfying orgasms or more intense orgasms? First of all, I'd say be gentle with yourself and don't set it up as a goal to achieve to always have the best orgasm. We know that menstrual cycles, for example, affect it, stress, mood, lack of sleep. So before I give the tips, I want to say take everything with some self-permission and gentleness to have the type of orgasm you have. But in terms of something that can consistently enhance your orgasm, whether you have a penis, whether you have a vulva, is being present, being in the moment and present. I mean, I cannot emphasize enough that it's completely normal for your mind to wander during sex. I'm not saying that the goal is for it never to wander, but to learn to quiet your mind when it does wander, go, oh, there she goes again, or there he goes again, bring the mind back to the body in a non-judgmental way. That, and again, get the stimulation that works for you, because what you need one time might be different. So communicate, you know, last time I liked when you were touching me here. No, now move your hand there this time. Be empowered to change it up and to communicate to your partner what you want in the moment. Mindfulness and communication are going to enhance sex and result in more orgasms. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And just a few other things that I would add to that would be, you know, keep trying new and different things when it comes to sex, because novelty is really the key for getting those really high levels of sexual arousal. And when you're really fully aroused, that can help you to experience things more intensely in a couple of ways. One is that physically it might be more intense, but also when you're engaged in this novel activity, that can help draw you into the situation more. So you're not as focused on those distracting thoughts that might be popping into your head. So novelty can be a way of kind of augmenting mindfulness, I think, in a lot of ways. There's so many things you can do to, I think, get these more consistent, more intense, more pleasurable orgasms. And just one other thing I would add to that would be to engage in some edging practices where you sort of get to that sort of peak of arousal and you just sort of maintain that high arousal state for a longer period of time. For many people, that can help result in a more intense orgasm. So lots of things you can do to have great orgasms. Yes, thank you for bringing both of those up. And, you know, that also made me think too, sometimes mindfulness doesn't work for people. They're just too anxious. So, and this is your jam, right? It's okay to fantasize during sex. That can also enhance your arousal. And no, it is not cheating if you're fantasizing about something in someone else besides your partner. That's quite, quite common. I'd be surprised at how often I have to tell people that, but it just speaks to, you know, what a common concern it is. So thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Lori. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get a copy of one of your books? 
Sure. Thank you for having me. It was delightful as always. You can find me on all social media and my website on the same handle, Dr. Lori Mintz. So D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. So my website is www.drlorimintz.com. That's my Instagram and Facebook handle, as well as Twitter. And there's links on my website to all of those and to purchase my books. But you can get my books wherever books are sold and um, Becoming Clitter, it is available in paperback and Kindle and audio. A Tired Woman's Guide is only available at this point by Kindle. Thank you again for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology at sexandpsychology.com or subscribe on your favorite platform where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want, and Lori's amazing books, including Becoming Clitorate. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Thank you.